I wanted to welcome Jared Thompson. He's spoken here before. Some of you guys might know him. Hello. Good morning. I can't believe Albert actually asked me to come and teach again after last time. If you guys remember what happened. Just kidding, nothing happened. But anyways, <laughs> it's great to be back with you guys today. The last time that I taught here, my family and I were in the prayer phase of praying about planting a church in the Bay Area. And um, we actually live up here now. We moved almost a month ago. And so we're a little east of you guys. Uh, we're planting uh, Calvary Chapel in Walnut Creek. We live kind of right on the border of Walnut Creek and Pleasant Hill. And right now we just started a home group at our house on Wednesdays and we're just loving people, getting into God's word together and trying to be intentional in our community to share the gospel because we just want to see people get saved and uh, see people grow in their relationship with Christ, and we're praying. You know, we pray for you guys over here. We pray for what God's doing in the Bay Area because if ever there was a time to want to see God work in these last days, it's now. And so just being prayerful that God would just light a fire here in this area, that people would come to know Him. Again, it is an honor to be here with you guys. So open up to Psalm 23 this morning. And let's pray. Let's give our time to the Lord this morning. Father, we do come before you. God, we thank you. Lord, even as that last chorus went, praise the Lord, oh my soul, praise the Lord. And Lord, we really could sing that all day. God, there is so many reasons to praise you. Lord, even when everything in our lives can be in shambles, Lord, there is still reason to praise you because, God, you're worthy. You're worthy. Lord, we don't let our circumstances dictate your worthiness. We let your greatness dictate your worthiness. And so this morning, God, we want to get our hearts in line with you. We want to lay our will down before you, God. We want to hear from you this morning. So, Lord, would you give us listening ears? to hear what your Holy Spirit would have to say to us personally. God, will we look at this chapter with fresh eyes, not with jaded eyes, Lord, of maybe reading it a hundred times before or hearing it a thousand times before, but God, coming with an openness to just see what you would want to say to us today. And God, I pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon us. Lord, maybe some of us are feeling extremely dry this morning. Maybe some are just feeling disconnected from you. Lord, maybe there's some who are dealing with some very hard circumstances. Lord, I pray that this morning you would revive us, that God, you would renew us. God, that you would stir us, challenge us, encourage us, build us up through your word. And Lord, use me, God. I need you. I can't do it without you, Lord. So we call upon you now and thank you. Father, in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Now, Psalm 23, this is one of the most famous chapters in the entire Bible. And whether you're a Christian in here today, whether you're just 
checking the whole Jesus thing out or whether you don't want anything to do with him at all and someone really forced you to come this morning, which probably didn't happen, you've probably heard this chapter at some point in your life. Now, this psalm is near and dear to the hearts of many believers, has gotten many, many, many through some very hard times, has been read countless times at people's deathbeds, but there's so much for us here today, no matter where we're at or what we're going through. And as it says in the very beginning of the chapter, it's a psalm of David. David is this guy who wrote the psalm, King David, we know him as, usually. But he had spent a good portion of his younger days as a shepherd. And his former career as a shepherd gave him a unique perspective of God as his shepherd. And seeing God as his shepherd really gave him a greater love and appreciation for God because he knew what the life of a shepherd looked like. He had lived it. And he knew what kind of care and devotion and commitment it took to be the shepherd of a flock. So with all that being said, if you're not already there in Psalm 23, we're going to read that through this morning before we get into each verse. And I've titled this message, the sheep's view of his shepherd. The sheep's view of his shepherd. So let's read through those verses together. Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can I get an amen to that? Again, look at verse 1. The very first thing he says is, The Lord is my shepherd. In just that short statement, the psalmist is recognizing that he is not at the center of the universe. He's not at the center. He's not the greatest thing since sliced bread. He's recognizing that the Lord, Yahweh, as being the one in charge, being his master, his owner, his leader, his provider, his everything. And everything that follows in this chapter hinges on this, that God is his shepherd and that he is just a sheep in his shepherd's care. And he doesn't just know facts about his shepherd because that's really easy, right? We can know about someone. There's a lot of people who know about God. They know about the Bible. But it's one thing to know about and to know experientially, right? There's a difference. We can have all the knowledge up in our head and not have our hearts transformed one bit by that knowledge. For David, there wasn't a disconnect there. To know God wasn't just an intellectual ascent of God. It was a true experiential Knowledge. He knew his shepherd. He loved his shepherd. And he knew 
that his shepherd loved him. He had spent time with him. He had experienced the faithfulness of his shepherd firsthand. We see many times throughout the Bible that God has chosen to like himself to a shepherd. It wasn't uncommon in those days. Many political leaders and religious leaders would call themselves a shepherd or they would kind of use that symbolically. And God has chosen to liken us to sheep. Now we can be mad or try to refuse or fight against and rebel against God calling us sheep. We cannot like that he's chosen that animal for us. Some people would like to think of themselves as lions or something like a little tougher than a lamb, right? There's a lot of people that think of themselves in those ways. There's a lot of people that would look at us today and say, maybe with disdain, you guys are just sheep. You're just followers. And yet, in God's eyes, when he calls us his sheep, it's a term of endearment. It's a term of ownership, of care, of compassion. And for us who are God's sheep today, we can proudly say, God, I'm your sheep. You're my shepherd. Check out Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. Truth. He goes on to say, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So with that starting point, let's continue on and see the results of this relationship that David had and that we have in having God as our shepherd. Look at what verse 1 continues to say. David says, I shall not want. Literally, it could read, I shall not lack, or I shall not be in want. Now, we live in a world today where, and I don't even have to tell you this, for the most part, people have a consumer mindset. There are always wants, and there's such a general dissatisfaction and inability to be content. And the sad thing is that it's just as true for people who know Christ personally as it is for those who don't have Jesus in their lives at all. The truth is that many people treat God as if he's their genie. Have you ever met somebody like that? Maybe you've been that person at one point in your life. Like he exists to grant them whatever they desire. And when God doesn't cater to their every whim, they cast him aside and say that he really isn't as good as he said he is, or that he had somehow failed them and didn't come through in their lives. There are even people that preach a sort of prosperity message where God wants to make you healthy, wealthy, and I couldn't think of the third one, so I just said comfy. Healthy, wealthy, and comfy. I don't think that's the third one, but for me it is. And you know what? It's just straight unbiblical and wrong. And it causes people to turn away from God many times. Or if it doesn't, it causes them to feel like a second-class Christian or that they don't have enough faith when they aren't healthy or when they aren't wealthy or when they're not comfy. Okay? Guys, we have to remember that God is much more concerned with our internal and our eternal good than he is 
with our physical or financial or temporal good because all those things are going to pass away. But our spirits will live on forever. And he's concerned about that. He's concerned with our character. He's concerned with our witness. He's concerned with his glory. And for some reason, he wants to use us to do something in this world that brings him glory. But while he hasn't promised us an easy life, he has promised us trials and tribulation and persecution. And the healthy, wealthy, comfy thing just doesn't fit into Jesus' promises about those things. But he has promised us himself, his salvation, his love, his peace, his joy, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his goodness, his comfort, his spirit. Jesus said, I've come so that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly, a super abundant life. But that doesn't always look the way that the world thinks it should look. And sometimes it doesn't look the way that we hoped it would look. But that's the best life. That's the blessed life. Now, having him means that we lack nothing. Because in him, we have everything. Listen, the secret to contentment isn't getting all that you want. It's realizing and accepting that Jesus is all we truly need. That's it. That's where contentment lies. Because if you've done that in your life, if you've searched and you've tried and you've sampled and you've tasted of what this world has to offer for you, you know that those things leave you dissatisfied. The new car gets dinged in the parking lot. Can't believe no one said amen to that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? Your clothes, no matter how expensive they are, wear out. Get holes in them. Get stains on them. No matter how much we can pour into being healthy and fit, we can have the biggest biceps on the earth. It don't matter. One day the biceps are going to shrivel up. Right? We're going to return to dust. That's not it. Contentment is knowing Christ. It's having Christ. That's it. And he's who we need. He's what we need. Listen to these few verses. Psalm 107.9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Isn't that cool? Psalm 34.10 says, The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Jesus, in John 6.35, said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Do you see lack there? There's no lack in him. When Jesus is our shepherd, we won't lack anything truly needful because he is the great I am. 
That could have been a confusing statement for Moses back in the day. You know, like, the great I am, Moses, the burning bush, who are you, Lord? I am. What? (laughs) No one says that of themselves. God does. Because he is all that we need him to be. He is the becoming one. And he will always be enough for us. We shall not lack. Verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now remember that we're looking at the shepherd from the perspective of a sheep. And as I studied, I found that this is not as simple as it sounds. And I had to study because I don't know about sheep. I'm not like a sheep herder. I've never done sheep ranching or any sort of farming really at all. So here's what I found out. You can't just make a sheep lie down unless close care and attention is being made. And there's some things that they need to be free of in order for that to happen. Okay? The first thing is that they need to be free from fear. And I didn't know this, but sheep are like one of the most frightened animals on the face of this earth. The tiniest little thing will sketch a sheep out and will send it stampeding wherever they can stampede to, if sheep even stampede. (laughs) The second thing is they need to be free from conflict and friction with other sheep because sheep annoy each other and they butt at each other and they're not cool to each other sometimes. They have like the same thing as like a pecking order. They have, they call it a budding order. And so, you know, there's the head sheep, and that head sheep will just, like, start whacking other sheep and getting all cray-cray. And so they need to be free from those things. And the third thing is they need to be free from pests that bother them and parasites that could afflict them. That could be a hard one, right? I mean, you're out in the desert or wherever you're at. There's going to be pests all around. It's bound to happen. The fourth thing is that they need to be free from hunger. Seems like a lot, right? It's like a lot of stuff to be mindful of as a shepherd to make sure that your sheep are in the state of mind where you can make them to lie down. In order for sheep to be able to lie down, the shepherd has to be extra mindful and take extra care in making sure that the needs of the sheep are being met. And this is cool because for us, God cares about what's going on in our lives. The little annoyances, the friction that we might experience and conflict that we could have with other people. The times when maybe even by our own fault we've made ourselves hungry because we've starved ourselves from lack of God's word. Or the fears that we deal with because we deal with them, don't we? Have anxieties and worries Because there's a lot of things out there to be fearful of, right? Now, if you're here today and you aren't resting in Christ, maybe you're dealing with some fear. Maybe you're dealing with some strife or conflict or frustration. Let me encourage you and remind you with the words of Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 11 and verses 28 and 29, he said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He is the rest giver. And according to the book of Hebrews, there is a rest that remains for the people of God, and it's found in Christ, and he invites us into that rest. It's found in him. It's found in him. Not only does he provide what we need to rest in him, he also provides the green pastures for us to feast on. His word is that spiritual nourishment that we need. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus quoted the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 8, verse 3, when he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need to be taking in God's word each day to gain strength spiritually. And not only that, but it's through the written word of God that we come in contact with Jesus, the living word of God. We meet him face to face. That's how we get to know him. That's how we get to learn from him. That's how we get to see him for who he truly is. And if God's word wasn't so important for us as his people, then he wouldn't have had it written down for us. And he wouldn't have preserved it all these years, even though there's been so many attempts to try to stamp out and get rid of it over the centuries. He wants us to read it. He wants us to know it. He wants us to know him. In fact, as a pastor or a shepherd of God's people, for Albert, myself, any other pastor, one of our primary callings by God is to feed his sheep. Listen to what God said in Jeremiah 3, verse 15. I will give you shepherds according to my heart. This is a shepherd, guys, that's according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. A shepherd after my heart feeds my sheep. That's it. Our shepherd wants to lead us to green pastures, even this morning. He goes on to say, he leads me beside the still waters. Our shepherd knows that we are thirsty sheep, and he knows where the most pure and refreshing and peacefully still water is found. And it's found in Jesus. In John chapter 4, which many of you are probably familiar with, we see this amazing conversation between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. And Jesus comes to this well. He himself was thirsty. He had been traveling. It was in the heat of the day. It was at a time when people didn't come to the well to even draw water because they would have come when it wasn't as hot because they would have been carrying their pitchers with them. would have been hard work. But Jesus shows up at this well. Here's this woman. She shows up at the well. And Jesus just says, hey, give me a drink. So this conversation ensues. She's like, look, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't interact. This doesn't happen. And Jesus flips the conversation. It's like, he's the one asking for the drink. But then he's like, look, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's standing before you, you would have asked him for a drink, and he would have given you living water. 
So she's like, well, give me the water then because I don't want to keep coming here. I got a shady past. Nobody in this town likes me. Burned all my bridges. Hooked up with a lot of dudes. In John chapter 4, in verses 13 and 14, Jesus answers and says to her, whoever drinks of this water, and I could just picture him pointing to this well, he says, whoever drinks of it will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The water's found at him. It would have made sense for her, right? I mean, yeah, if I come and get this water, I'm going to be thirsty a little while later. I'm going to thirst again. We get thirsty. You can imagine being in an arid area, like the area of Israel, that you would be thirsty, especially traveling around. They didn't travel in cars and have air conditioning like we have today. They didn't have air-conditioned donkeys or anything like that. Wasn't that cool? But here's the thing. Sheep are stubborn and wayward, meaning that they frequently go astray. And this is one of the reasons that God likens us to sheep. Their shepherd could be leading them to a beautifully clear spring. And as they're on their way, they might stop and start drinking from a muddy and stagnant and gross little puddle on the side of the road or run off to go and find water on their own. And isn't it true of us? There are so many wells in this world that don't satisfy us. They never will satisfy us. And most of them are harmful to us. But we will go to them and drink. When Jesus is saying, if you come to me, I've got living water that will satisfy you and cause you to never be thirsty again. But you have to come to me for it. And we're like, Jesus, but this well over here, it seems so promising. This whole relationship thing seems really satisfying. This whole drug thing seems really satisfying. This whole career thing and making lots of money thing seems really satisfying. The fame thing seems really satisfying. You fill in the blank. That thing seems so satisfying to us. Satan makes things look so crazily satisfying. And yet we feel so used, so empty, so dry, so thirsty, spiritually speaking. Because they don't. They promise a lot, they never deliver. Yet Jesus offers something. And he backs up his promise makes good on it. Listen to what he said in John 7, in verses 37 and 38. He said, If anyone thirsts, at this point, this was like a big deal. This was the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the last day. There's a lot of other things, culturally speaking, that were going on at that time. And it would have been a time when an empty pitcher of water would have been, you know, kind of uh, faux poured out. <laughs> like there's nothing in it to pour out, but they would do that. And... At that point, Jesus stands up and it says that he cries out with a loud voice and says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
And we're told in the next verse he was speaking of the Holy Spirit who was to come. Hadn't come at that point because Jesus had yet to be glorified. But don't buy into the lies of the enemy and allow him to rip you off by thinking that you can draw satisfaction from anywhere other than Jesus. He's the only source that delivers. He's the only source that satisfies. Verse 3, David goes on to say, He restores my soul. And I don't know how many of us need to hear and be reminded of this today. But maybe some of you do. There's restoration. There's healing. There's forgiveness found in Jesus. Go to him if you're hurting or broken because he's the one that heals. Go to him if you need to confess and repent of sin because he's the one who forgives and washes us and cleanses us and brings us back into right relationship with the Father. The one who restored sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, the ability to walk to the crippled and lame, the ability to speak to the mute, who came to set free the captives and who brought the dead back to life is still the same one who is in the business of restoration today. And his name is Jesus. He goes on to say, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads us in right paths and righteous living. So when we follow his leading, his example, our lives begin to look different. Have you guys ever tried in your own power to live righteously? How long did that last? <laughs> I've spent a lot of years in that place trying, trying really, really hard, making a lot of promises to God that I didn't follow through with. But when we hang with our shepherd, when we hang out with our shepherd, when we abide in him when we stay connected to him he changes us and he produces this amazingly sweet fruit from our lives he leads us in the path of righteousness on our end it's up to us to follow in that path but when we do his name is exalted and glorified as people see Jesus at work in our lives. When you're stopping the whole freaking out and trying super hard thing, and you chill out and you hang out with the shepherd, man, people are going to see it. And his name is going to be exalted. People are going to say, what's the deal with you? What's going on in your life? And your answer is just going to be, Jesus. Jesus, that's the answer. He's the reason. Moving on. Verse 4, he said, yay. Though, okay, we don't really use yay anymore in our common vernacular, but though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valleys are real, aren't they? They're real. And the valleys can be really deep. And the valleys can be really dark. 
Some of you have been taken through that valley before. Maybe some of you many times in the valley. Maybe some of you are in that valley right now. It could be some, to use my Southern California language, could be some gnarly spiritual warfare or HECA, whatever. I don't even know. I'm still getting used to the whole NorCal thing. Or a fiery trial. It could be a tragedy. It could be a family crisis or a financial crisis. It could be any number of things. But because of the reality that God was with him and that he's with us, we don't need to fear evil or the evil one, and we should not. We should not. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Now, this world tries to portray Satan as sort of like an equal to God. It's not true. Satan is a created being. God is the creator. They're not equals. One day Satan will be cast into the lake of fire where he will spend all the rest of eternity. He is not an equal to God. Don't give him that power either. Because Jesus defeated death and took the sting out of it, we aren't to fear death either. That can be a hard one. For us as believers, death is no longer our enemy. It's actually now a friend that ushers us into the very presence of God. And our ability to not fear is based upon the promise of his presence always being with us. I love God's charge to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And this is after he had already told Joshua a few times to not be afraid. But he said, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We're able to live in the place of victory and not giving in to our fear because he's with us. And he's with us and his rod and his staff are a comfort to us. Now the shepherd's rod was meant to be an extension of the shepherd's very own arm. And it was to be a symbol of his power and authority. The shepherd used his rod to protect his sheep from dangerous predators and also to correct and discipline his sheep. The shepherd's staff was different. It was never used to correct or discipline his sheep. Instead, it was used to lead and direct his sheep and to draw his sheep close to him to care for them. Our shepherd protects us and defends us. He shelters and shields us. He leads and directs us and corrects and disciplines us. And all of it is done because of his love for us, which is comforting to us. When you know that somebody is correcting you in love, it can be a comfort. You still might not like it. But it helps you to accept it a little bit better when you know that they love you. And even that sort of stuff, like correction and discipline, even though we don't like it, we know he's doing it because we're his kids. The author of Hebrew talks about it in chapter 12, about who the Lord loves he chastens he disciplines he corrects and that if he doesn't correct us then we're illegitimate we're not really his kids but be encouraged our shepherd knows how to use both his rod 
and his staff. He's not an inexperienced shepherd. He's not like practicing with his rod on the sheep to like figure it all out. He's not doing it vindictively. He uses them for our good. And we can trust him that whatever we go through in life, he's not going to abandon us. He's promised to never leave us and to never forsake us, but that he'll be with us through even the darkest of valleys. One other thing about the rod and the staff is that both of them are symbolic of the ministry of God's word in our lives. And it's many times in the dark valleys where we're clinging to the word of God, the promises of God, that we find the greatest comfort and encouragement. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And whether you're in a dark and threatening valley because of some bad decisions you've made, or whether God led you into the valley to refine you and make you stronger and closer to him, guys, even in the darkest valley, the ministry of God's word will be the lamp to your feet and the light to your path. And his word will never fail. His word will never fail, ever, 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 ever. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Being able to sit at a table with enemies around you speaks of a peace and confidence that only comes from the Lord of the table who prepared all of it for us. Guys, the spiritual blessings and the riches that God provides at his table cannot be touched by our enemies but are to be enjoyed by us because they are ours in Christ. He said, you anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. I found this just really simple but clear quote by a guy named William McDonald. He had this to say. He said, shepherds anoint the heads of their sheep to soothe the scratches and wounds. For priests, the anointing oil speaks of consecration to their work. For kings, the anointing oil is associated with coronation. And then finally, he says, every believer is anointed with the Holy Spirit the moment he receives the Savior. So there's many different uses of the oil, but he's the one who does the anointing. And not only does he anoint us, but he fills our cup to overflowing. I believe this is speaking of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, which comes upon us and overflows us, giving us spiritual gifts for service and also empowers us to be witnesses in this world to Jesus. And I also believe this running over of our cup is a picture of the joy that spills over from our lives when his spirit is at work in us and through us. Now, lastly, in verse 6, as we come to a close, David says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The goodness and mercy of God will follow us, will never depart from us all the days of our lives, and we can bank on that. And for those of us today who have put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We will be with Jesus for all eternity. But I have to remind you of how this psalm 
started. Right? All of this only pertains and applies to someone who has made Jesus their shepherd. These are just some of the blessings of our relationship with Christ. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you've never confessed your sins to him and asked him to forgive you and to save you, to be your shepherd, your savior, your Lord, your God, I'd like to give you that opportunity today as I ask the worship team to come forward. If you're here today, I want you to know you can know for certain that when you breathe your last breath here, you're going to awaken in glory in the presence of Jesus. Because God has made it extremely simple and extremely clear that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, he said, you shall be saved. You shall be saved. You can know it. You can count on it. Because he's done the work. Jesus, God in human flesh, came to this earth, dwelt among us. Man, that must have been rough, right? Knowing glory from all eternity past, walking amongst us, jacked up people, seeing all the sin of the world all around you like that, and yet to live a perfect and sinless life that we never could, and then to be nailed to a Roman cross on a hill called Calvary by the people that you created, that would be hard. Yet Jesus did that for us. When he hung on the cross, he paid the penalty that our sin deserved. The Bible calls it becoming our propitiation. He took our wrath, the judgment that should have fallen on us for our own sins, and yet he took it. And all he says in return is, just believe in me. You believe in me, you put your faith in me, you make me your Lord, you get to have my righteousness. A righteousness that we could never earn, that we don't deserve, and yet he says, look, it's free. It is a gift of my grace to you, and I extend it out, and all we have to do is take the gift and open it, receive it. So I want to give you that opportunity today. Now, if maybe you already know the Lord. Maybe today you're a wayward sheep, stubborn, stubborn, stubborn sheep. You've walked away. God's given us an amazing picture of his heart for prodigals, that if we just return to him, he will run to us. He will accept us. He will bring us back. He will clothe us. He will clean us up. Wherever you're at today, I want you to respond to God, whether it's for the first time, recommitting your life, or maybe today you're just thanking him for being your shepherd, grateful for the amazing God that you have. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we thank you. We thank you, God, that you're a shepherd that we can trust, that you're the shepherd of our soul, God, that you're the good shepherd. You are the great shepherd. And you love your sheep. You love people. That's why you came. That's why you died. That's why you paid for our sins. That we can know you. 
that we could enter into relationship with you. God, you hate religion. You made that clear, Jesus, when you walked on this earth. But you want relationship with us. And this morning, as everybody's eyes are closed, if you're here today, and maybe you've never made that decision, maybe you've never made Jesus your shepherd, your Lord, your savior, maybe you've never invited him into your heart, just ask you to respond this morning. If you lift up your hand where you're at, I wanna pray for you, if that's you. anybody here this morning you know Jesus is calling to you maybe you're that wayward sheep you've left the sheepfold you've been doing your own thing trying to taste the wells of this world and you know that it doesn't satisfy if that's you this morning and you want to return recommit to the Lord you raise your hand I'll pray for you awesome I see you guys I want to pray for you guys this morning. Lord, I pray for these that have just raised their hands saying, Lord, it's me. I'm the sheep that's gone astray. Lord, I'm not being satisfied. I see it. I've tasted you, Lord. You've ruined me for everything else. Lord, I pray for these this morning that are just wanting to come back, wanting to recommit. I pray that, God, you would restore them. And, guys, in your hearts, just pray simply. Just ask God to forgive you, just to cleanse you, restore you, restore that connection that you once had with the Lord. And, God, I pray that you would meet them where they're at, Lord, you're good. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy that follows us all the days of our lives. Lord, now we sing songs of praise to you, our great shepherd. Be glorified now, we ask, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.